Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If this is what someone means by let's make America great again, if that's what they mean, then let's get back to that point in time. I, when I was doing a search for 1980s aerobic video and I watched that video, I literally snotted all over my computer. I was laughing so hard. It's funny when we look back, even two, two to three decades ago, of what health looks like, um, <laughs> at some point we thought that wearing spandex like was the epitome of health. I mean, it's funny. When you, when you really look back, in 1870, this is a perfect image. In 1870, this was what was considered to be the epitome of health for men. Uh, in other words, it, the rounder the stomach, they considered the rounder your wallet. If you were a skinny person in the 1870s, you were considered to be poor. And so you wanted to be wealthier and more padded in your living. Or fast forward, take for example the, the 1920s. Uh, this is the flapper girl. Uh, it was considered that uh, all women should be petite and straight arrowed and absolutely no cleavage or showing of skin whatsoever. And then you fast forward 30 decades and Marilyn Monroe best captures it when she said the body is meant to be seen, not at all covered up. So when you think the 1950s healthy, where Barbie and all her unrealistic nature was what was considered healthy at the time. Fast forward 30 years. In the 1980s, the experts said that the supermodel was the epitome of health, or guys were supposed to look like Arnold, apparently, and that was what healthy looked like. What a complete juxtaposition from empowering health and fitness, while at the same time uh, discouraging and falsely classifying what image is supposed to look like. Over the last six decades, supposed experts have told us that the grapefruit diet, no, 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 wait, the vegetarian diet, no, actually the low-calorie diet, wait just a second, we're going to get it right this time, the low-fat diet, well, maybe that's not the right thing, the high-protein, low-carb diet, oh, no, now we need to do the all-natural diet, that's what health and healthy eating looks like. It's quite confusing when you think about it. So... What does healthy look like? How does it feel? How are we supposed to eat and when we're supposed to eat? And so if we take on this mentality that we've been talking about this last five weeks, this uh, from the great French philosopher Antoine Bertal Savarine, where he said, you are what you eat, then what decade do we go with? Who's right or wrong in this? And we've been having this conversation around our spiritual journey that if what we consume physically is what we are, then what we consume spiritually and emotionally and mentally becomes who we are. And so we've been having this conversation around what happens if we consume a fast and quick and cheap and easy spirituality. And we've talked about those results. If that's not what God has in mind for us, then what does God want? If God desires a healthy and vibrant and refreshing spirituality, then where does that begin? In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that, in fact, in order for us to have that, there's a cost to that. And the cost to that is a radical transformation of our life and what we are consuming emotionally and mentally and spiritually. In order for us to really build a solid foundation, we've, we've talked about that we need to allow God, the Spirit of God, to sometimes offend us, to convict us, and transform us into the liking of Jesus. 
So how do we build healthy spiritual habits? That's been the conversation last week that Stephanie was preaching on, and we'll conclude this week. How do we build healthy spiritual habits? How do we get there? What does that look like? What does it take? So for this, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 43. Our text is part of an expansive discourse um, called the Sermon on the Plain. Now, in, in Matthew's gospel, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Here is the most dense and influential teaching of influential teaching of Jesus, because Jesus is literally coming down from a mountain. He's calling twelve disciples to come and follow him, and he's casting a new vision of what God desires for us. He's not teaching about a new religion. He's not uh, bearing uh, the sign of a, a new way of being. Uh, religious by some particular religious garb that we wear. He's not telling us that we have to gather once a week in a particular building, and oh, by the way, if that particular building doesn't have fog and and dense lighting that really elevates the worship experience, that we're not truly worshiping. He's not trying to tell us that a certain percentage of our income equals being a religious person. Jesus is, in fact, inviting us into a new way of living. And that's what the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about Jesus casting a vision of this new way of living. A new way of living by we following Christ. And so Jesus is literally inviting followers to follow him and to take in this new teaching. And it begins, um, we're actually drawing to an end of this, uh, this beautiful and innovative passage here, Jesus saying in verse 43. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now Jesus often used agricultural metaphors and illustrations in his teaching. Do you recall the, the sermon of uh, the sermon where he talks about the, uh, the parable of the sower, the parable of the rich farmer, the fig tree, the vine and the branches? Uh, these are just the things he spoke about, the wheat and the chaff. Uh, because remember, Jesus is speaking to a primarily agricultural society. He's speaking to people whose lives literally depended on the agricultural seasons. So he is speaking both simply and complex to them. He's speaking to them in terms and in illustrations they would understand, but he's speaking about something very deep. So it's a simple concept, but it's a complex concept. There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. (laughs) It's pretty simple. And Jesus is speaking about fruit as this is the content of our lives. I love the simplicity and the complexity of, of Jesus. And he uses the language of the heart. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the very central essence of who you are. It's not talking about the literal organ that, that pumps blood through our system. He's talking about it in a, in a very metaphorical and a very symbolic sense that here's this center of your being, the center of your essence. And he's saying out of the center of your essence is either good or bad character. Either godly character or ungodly character. Now what Jesus is not talking about is being a good or bad person. We don't have time to get into that this morning, in fact, but Jesus pretty much sums that up in one sentence when he says, why do you call me good? There's only one good person, and that is God. So Jesus isn't talking about good or bad person, but he's talking about what is good and not good, what is good content, what is not good content, what is good character, what is not good character. And he brings this into the simple illustration of good and bad fruit. There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. It's simple, and yet it's complex. 
There's really no in-between here. Good fruit isn't produced in a place that has thorn bushes and briars, Jesus said. But good fruit is produced out of a, a good tree. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So naturally, the next question is, what is good and bad fruit? If Jesus isn't talking about being a good person or a bad person, then who determines what is good and bad fruit? Uh, Jennifer and I both grew up in a house where uh, parents grew crops in various forms in the backyard. And so when we moved into our new house a couple years ago, we decided that we would uh, build a pretty substantial raised garden bed. And uh, we had the first couple of seasons were really good. We had uh, tomato plants and cucumber plants and actually some jalapeno plants that just had like a ton of yield from it. But the one plant that we just had so many issues with was the zucchini plant. That thing, no matter how much we tried, we put out five or six plants each season and got nothing out of it. And one particular Saturday, I got really frustrated, and I was going out there to rip it up and clean it out for the next season. And when I ripped up one of them, I ripped it up, and it was, like, enormously heavy. And there in the middle, growing in the very center around uh, the metal piece that was holding everything up, was this huge zucchini plant. In fact, it was 18 inches long. That's how big this thing was. And so you can imagine all the different things we thought about that we can cook with. And we were just so ready to make this thing happen, except when you cut it open and actually tasted it, the thing tasted absolutely awful. <laughs> it was terrible. And what we learned is that you can't simply throw seed into the ground and water it and really just try to nurture a plant. In fact, in North Carolina, if you, in, if you really want zucchini plants to grow, you need to plant marigolds near zucchini in order for them to be pollinated. And so what we discovered is that it's very complex. Um, our neighbor actually walked into our backyard recently. I'm taking down the raised garden bed. We're going to move it. And he walked over and he goes, he sees a bunch of plants in there. He goes, oh my goodness, what are you growing? And it was all weeds. Like, that's <laughs> That's like, we do really well at growing weeds in this area. So rush gardening will not get you something substantial in return. This is what Jesus is getting out here. He says there's a difference between good and bad fruit. It's visible. It's obvious. And so the first thing I want us to learn about bad fruit is it's the result of false spirituality. Let's draw back to week one. We talked about fast and easy and substanceless spirituality. We talked about a spirituality that, that is so fast, it's so quick, it's, it's, it has no substance to it, and yet we expect so much in return. And Paul gets at this in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, where he talks about bad and good fruit, but he talks about bad fruit when he's talking about this. He says, uh, this is a, a translation from the message. He says, it's obvious what kind of lives develop out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitiveness, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfying wants, a brutal temper, an impotent towards love and to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, and the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone as a rival. What Paul is trying to get at here, what he's trying to urge the church is that each day our choices, our mindsets, our actions have an impact on our spiritual lives. And when we willingly disregard the opportunity to dynamically grow in our journey with Jesus day after day, we'll find that our life is nothing like Jesus. We'll find that we have bad fruit in our lives. And as Jesus day, he had a, a very visible illustration for this. 
In Matthew's version of this text, he says, Consider the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Though they appear like sheep, inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You see, Jesus is pointing to this self-righteous, prideful, arrogant, unjust, and malicious group of religious people. The people that are supposed to have it all together. And yet Jesus is saying they produce bad fruit in their lives. Bad fruit is distinct. It smells terrible. It's, it's like you know it nine times out of ten. You ever come home like with a thing of strawberries and there's that one moldy one in the middle and it makes everything else smell terrible and fruit flies get in the house. Bad fruit is the result of faux spirituality. It's bad fruit because there's no depth to it. Um, you can call me a weirdo. Um, I was hoping somebody would say, you are a weirdo, uh, in response, but I, I, I eat the same lunch every single day. Um, for lunch every day, I have an apple, a handful of almonds, and an avocado. I just peel the avocado in my car, and I just eat the avocado as is. I find it to be very fulfilling and an adequate lunch, so if you're judging me, you can just shove it. Um, however, a few months back, I, I, I got into a streak of avocados where each day I was eating it, and it just tasted, it tasted like chalky, and other days it tasted said kind of stringy, and I thought this was kind of weird, and so I did a little research, and what I found was that most avocados typically grow uh, 10 months out of the year, but the demand for avocados year-round has forced avoc avocado producers to manipulate the plant so that it grows year-round, and the result of it is a, a not very appetizing avocado, a not very fulfilled type of plant. So the next time you buy strawberries or blueberries in the wintertime, you'll run into the same type of issue. It's the result of a dilution of what the avocado is supposed to be. Bad fruit doesn't sometimes come from faux spirituality, but sometimes it comes from rushed spirituality. As one author put it, in theory, I know that spiritual growth is more than memorizing verses and showing up at church. I know that there are big questions to wrestle with that I need to hash out and others that I simply I need to allow to sit in tension of faith. Yet all too often, I catch myself reducing the vibrant life of Jesus' followers into four hours of spiritual life. The one and a half hours on Sunday morning and the remaining time scattered sparsely throughout the week. But here's the thing, it just doesn't work. Bad fruit is, is not just the product of poor choices and rivaling the way of Jesus, but sometimes it's the result of expecting our spirituality to be served to us in sound bites. To have easy-to-read posts, to have cliche middle-class American sayings, to have shallow sermons, to occasionally listening to the latest Jesus culture or Elevation worship albums. God cannot be manufactured in a book, in a blog post, in a video clip, in a Sunday-to-Sunday -Sunday ritual in our lives. Expecting deep spiritual development and minimal effort is like expecting to train for a marathon for one week and expecting to finish that in a good amount of time or finish it all together. And if we really think about it, well, that's just stupid. If Madison was in here, she'd say, Daddy, we don't say that word. But bad fruit comes from rushed spirituality. And we've pretty much covered bad fruit in the first couple weeks of this series. And so let's, let's zero in on how we establish this good fruit in our lives. Remember, the scripture it does not come in sound bites. It's, it's interwoven within a narrative. Context matters. And what Jesus is building at in this Sermon on the Plain, what he's ending with, with the text we read this morning, is this vast perspective of this new way of being human. 
This new way of following Jesus. And he says things in, in Luke chapter 6 like this. Good fruit is like loving your enemies and doing good to those who harm you. Good fruit is like blessing and praying for those who insult you and make your life a living hell. It's giving those who ask of you and take from you. Good fruit is, is choosing to let love transform you instead of being a judgmental person who condemns others with your thoughts and your words. It's looking at someone who is also broken and hurting and saying to them, I forgive you for the choices you've made in your life to harm me. Good fruit is, is humbly looking in the mirror and seeing your brokenness and seeing that God needs to constantly reconcile and rebuild our lives into something more beautiful. Good fruit is living in obedience to the way of Jesus and having humility in the way that the Spirit has called us to live in humility. Good fruit is culting, cultivating a healthy and vibrant spiritual journey and living in the way of Jesus each day. But that doesn't come from a rigid religiosity. It doesn't come from just worshiping God Sunday to Sunday. It doesn't just come from reading scripture or having a, a great prayer life. So how do we cultivate this deeper spirituality, this good fruit in our lives? I found that the concept of giving gifts and responding to something um, stupid you've done has always been a funny concept to me. Um, so let's just say I goof up big time. I say something stupid that I shouldn't say, and Jennifer's here, so she would attest to that. That never happens in our marriage. Um, so let's just say, hypothetically, I say something really stupid and insensitive and hurtful. What culture tells us is that what I'm supposed to do is to say I'm sorry, but that if I'm really sorry, I've got to go buy out something and give it to her to make sure she knows that I'm sorry, which has always been a funny concept. It's ironic that we would ever give flowers to say I'm sorry, because in three days when those flowers wilt and die, it's just a reminder of yet again three or four days later of the stupid thing you did, that it caused harm and deep emotional rifts within your life. But by far the funniest thing for me, uh, for people to give if they've done something wrong, is edible arrangements. Like think about this concept for just a second. Hey honey, um, I know what I said was really stupid and insensitive. So while you're going through this emotional roller coaster, why don't you shove all this food into your mouth and that will make you feel better for all the, the horrible and sensitive things that I've done. I think the concept that we need to get around good fruit in our lives is it can't come as a result of feeling guilty for the way we live our life. God is not intending to judge us and condemn us and guilt us into being better, more godly people. But in fact, if we really want to build a solid foundation, if we really want to produce good fruit in our life, healthy habits, healthy spirituality comes out of a response of God's love. As we embrace the love of God, as God's radiant love overwhelms us in our life, then we begin to build these amazingly deep and foundational healthy habits within our life. It doesn't come from guilt. It comes out of God's abundance love. On one hand, we could see God's radiant desire to transform our lives in a negative way. We can see it as God trying to tell us that we're wrong, that we're not getting things right. We can look at somebody like me as just a pawn of God who's here each week just to make sure that we know that we do bad things in our life. Or we can see that God desires to transform us in a positive light. That God knows that we can be better. That God knows that life can be healthier. That God knows that we can have a more vibrant life. And God desires to pour love into our lives in order to transform us. 
The reformer John Calvin wrote, The torture of bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. And so God desires to bring us into something deeper by engaging us with God's love. And it's in God's crazy, insane, indescribable love for us that we begin to live in response to that love. When love is poured into us, we begin to see that there is something more for us and out of love for God, we begin to build healthier habits in our life. As Brian D. McLaren put it, we're seeking imperfectly at every turn, no doubt, an incarnational theology, a theology that brings the radical good news of great joy for all people, good news that God loves the world and didn't send Jesus to condemn it, but to save it, the good news that God's wrath is not merely punitive, but restorative, good news that the fire of God's holiness is not bent on eternal torment, but always to the work of purifying and refining. Good news that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Healthy habits are developed from a profoundly deeper and more vibrant spiritual journey out of God's love for us and our love for God. And so that builds us to the moment where as we're journeying with God lovingly each day that we have the opportunity to develop healthy habits in our life to come closer to God to journey much closer to our creator. And the church has always taught us the two things we can do, right? <laughs> to pray and to read our Bible. But God didn't make us creative and unique for us to just do that in plain and ordinary ways. Did you know that each day you have the opportunity to find creative ways to engage in spiritual disciplines? Think about it. Are you a person that enjoys writing? What if at the end of each day, instead, instead of just kind of ending your day watching a show or going to sleep really, really early? What if you took just five minutes to just journal out your thoughts for the day? To do a theological reflection on how you saw God at work in your life today in the simple and small ways. The act of journaling can be a spiritual discipline. Are you the type of person that loves to be outside? What if as you rode your bike or were walking outside or just going about your day outside that you took small moments to find the unique things that you see each day and to thank God for those unique things that God has placed in our lives? Are you an artist or a craftsman? Have you ever considered that the silence and the solitude can be conducive to hearing the voice of God in your life as you're using your eyes and your ears to work and create something beautiful? Are you a photographer? As one author put it, the author of Eyes of Our Heart argues that cultivating a deeper significance behind photography is a spiritual practice. It's adapting the monastic practice of Lectio Divina, of sacred reading, in the form of Visio Divina, sacred seeing. So seeing God in the images that you capture. How do you learn? How do you receive deeper understanding in your life? How can you best stop and reduce the noise of your life? There's all different forms of spiritual discipline that tap into our creative and unique natures. The discipline of solitude, the discipline of silence, of fasting, of abstinence, of Sabbath, of serving, of meditation, of worship, of confession, reflection, praying the scriptures, writing a conversation with the scriptures, of celebration, and so many more. The spiritual disciplines are opportunities we have each day 
to uniquely tap into the love of God and to learn more deeply and respond to God's love with a love for God. One of my more favorite things that I do every single day is cook for my family. And there is something profoundly meaningful and spiritual for me, um, cutting vegetables and cutting meat and combining the right type of spices together. And it gets even more significant when I smoke meat because it's the discipline of marinating and keeping the right temperature for the coals and the wood. Um, most of the time, this is a, a solitary practice of spirituality for me. Uh, but in the, in the last couple of years, our broader family, as we gather together, has begun to cook together. And it's become this amazing spiritual discipline for me. That we not only pick out the menu together, but then we go to the store together, and then we come home and we cook together. All of a sudden, this deep spiritual practice of cooking becomes more vibrant and meaningful as I do it with others. I think this is an important piece about building good, healthy habits in our life. We have to do it together in community. Community in the church matters. The church isn't designed to be this thing that we come to once a week, but the church is designed to be a vibrant community in our life, to live life well together. And when we can live life well together, we can begin to practice the discipline of spirituality together. The spirituality of encouragement the spirituality of confession, the spirituality of helping each other grow, to give each other support in our lives. And so consider how you can allow this community to help enhance your spiritual journey. Maybe through community groups or affinity groups. Maybe finding somebody that you can get together with once a week to pray. This community is designed to enhance your journey each and every single day. But by far the best spiritual practice that we can come to is by living out the way of Jesus in our life each day. Paul doesn't end with this negative bad fruit uh, that he talks about, but he actually ends with a pretty powerful and classic text many of us know about in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Let me read the text for you. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us live step with step with the Spirit of God. If we really want to have healthy, good fruits in our life, then you and I have to make the choice each and every single day to activate those fruits by living out the will of God each day. You see, the best spiritual disciplines you can practice each every single day is not to just pray scripture, is not to just read scripture, it's not to just go to worship, but in those moment-to-moment -moment opportunities you have to live out the way of Jesus. That's the best spiritual disciplines we can practice in our life. When the moment comes for you to love your enemies, you choose to love your enemies. When the moment comes for you to humble yourself and put others before yourself, you choose the humility of Christ. When the moment comes for us not to build up our little kingdoms in response to God's big kingdom, we choose the big kingdom of God instead of our little kingdoms. That's what the best spiritual practices, the best fruit, the best goodness that we can bring about in our lives is engaging the way of Jesus.
So may we put fast, cheap, and meaningless spirituality in our path, giving way into a deeper, more vibrant, and life-giving spiritual journey. May we choose to live a life every single day, not in mountaintop experiences, but embracing the tangible ways each day in both the amazing moments of life and in the moments where life seems like a living hell. To choose to live in the way of Christ. May we choose to find a a vital and vigorous quality of community, discovering that we can be more if we are together. And may we choose to live out the moments where the good fruit in our life is produced, even when it's tough, and especially not when it's just easy. And may we find that our lives fulfill the words of Jesus when he says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings the evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let's pray together. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.